many of the greatest defenders and proponents of stay-at-home orders and Black Lives Matter protests are rapidly pro-abortion. Yet their responses to COVID-19 and the death of George Floyd reveal staunchly pro-life principles. We will examine the self-evident nature of the pro-life position. I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted. Welcome to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. Thanks for tuning in today. Hey, if you haven't given this show a rating and review yet, please go ahead and do that. It really helps us. Wherever you listen, give us a five stars, leave us a, a review if it lets you, and that just helps people see that people are enjoying the show because I get a lot of trolls that leave nasty reviews because they hate pro-lifers. So we're going to talk today about how pro-life principles are really self-evident. And when contextualized to any other moral framework, they're celebrated by all people. Those principles are embraced by all. But when they're placed into the context of abortion, suddenly those same principles are called in to question. So I strongly believe that pro-life principles are self-evident. One of the many reasons that the principles of the pro-life position are not embraced when placed into the debate over abortion is due to decades of pro-abortion brainwashing and propagandizing peddled by the mainstream media and our schools. Decades of individuals growing up in these systems, being educated by a media that suggests that pro-life principles are foolhardy, bigoted, and stupid, only when applied to the issue of abortion. But those same principles are adopted nearly across the board in a bipartisan consensus when contextualized in any other moral framework. And so it's a very interesting moment that we're in. The two most politicized and polarizing events of 2020, namely the stay-at-home orders to combat COVID-19 and the protests and riots following the murder of George Floyd, revolve around the self-evident nature and importance of pro-life principles. So what are those pro-life principles? What are the pro-life principles that nearly everyone is embracing and recognizing as self-evident when it comes to the issue of COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter. Well, these principles are things like human beings have intrinsic dignity, value, and worth, and that it's always wrong to intentionally harm or kill innocent human beings without proper justification. Principles such as you actually don't have the right to use your body in a way that harms or kills others. So we're going to get to the, this partisan media in a second and the narratives that seem to conflict on this question of pro-life principles, despite the fact that we all believe in these principles. But first, we're offering a new feature here at Unaborted. I'll be taking your questions on the show, anything related to abortion, to the culture, to politics, to faith, to the church. So to get your questions answered, simply email us at unaborted at sethgruber.com. That's unaborted at sethgruber.com. And I'd love to hear from you. So first, let's talk about how the COVID-19 response reveals these pro-life principles. And then we'll get to how the Black Lives Matter protests reveal these same self-evident pro-life principles. So, of course, COVID-19 and the government shutdowns following the viral outbreak is, is the news for 2020. And we are now at nearly a Great Depression economy with tens of millions of people out of work. 
and unable to support their families. But the entire narrative built by politicians and the mainstream media following the government's stay-at-home orders was that we had to temporarily sacrifice our lifestyle and freedoms in order to protect the vulnerable, right? We were told every day that we didn't have the right to endanger the health and lives of others. And the media went so far as to suggest that if you were willing to go to social gatherings, to host a party, to do anything but shop for food, that you were killing granny. You remember Andrew Cuomo said, my mother is not expendable. He said, we're not going to accept the premise that human life is disposable. So he's recognizing these self-evident pro-life principles. Life has value. That value is, is so important and it, it, it's, it's unlike the value that we place on any other form of life that there's actually a justifiable argument for the government to restrict certain freedoms in order to protect that Life. Many politicians and pundits, in fact, argued that social distancing and stay-at-home orders illustrated that your right to bodily autonomy should be regulated if your actions risk harming others. Isn't that interesting? Because isn't that the exact argument that the pro-life movement makes? That is the pro-life position. A pregnant woman's bodily autonomy ends the moment that exercising that autonomy harms or kills others. <laughs> Our argument is that the government is justified in restricting a woman's quote-unquote bodily autonomy because it is evil to exercise your bodily autonomy in a way that harms or kills others. Now, obviously, there's a difference between these two cases, right? Between our bodily autonomy to go outside during a viral outbreak and a woman's bodily autonomy, quote unquote, to get an abortion. Obviously, there's a difference between our right to go outside <laughs> during a viral outbreak and your right to kill your unborn child. For example, there's obviously a difference between you unintentionally infecting a vulnerable person at the supermarket and having an abortion, which always involves the direct and intentional killing of a human being. Here's another example. Your right to drive in your vehicle outside on the roads, your right to drive doesn't disappear or it can't be taken from you simply because, you know, while driving, you could possibly but unintentionally take my life. Right. Your your there is a risk to your life being harmed or taken by someone else unintentionally because you're driving. However, your right to an abortion is not the same. That's not the same thing, right? In an abortion, you decide beforehand to directly and intentionally target an innocent human being for death. So obviously the argument to regulate bodily autonomy in the case of a viral outbreak is not the same as the argument to regulate bodily autonomy in an abortion. But guess what? I'm not the one who argued for these draconian measures and restrictions on bodily autonomy. <laughs> I'm admitting that they're different. But the politicians, the health experts, and the mainstream media, they made these arguments. They made the argument that the government is justified in regulating and restricting your bodily autonomy to go outside because in so doing, you might be harming or killing innocent human beings. So if they're going to argue for restricting bodily autonomy to protect born people from harm and death, then I'm going to reply by saying, be consistent, be consistent. 
You need to also then be willing to support restricting a woman's quote-unquote bodily autonomy to kill her unborn child. Because if the argument is this action, X action, might lead to harming or killing innocent human beings, then you have to be opposed to abortion because the woman's X action of getting an abortion always leads to the death of her child. If the government can declare a state of emergency and restrict rights to bodily autonomy for the preservation of life during a viral outbreak, then the government can also restrict women's rights to bodily autonomy for the preservation of the human life in her womb. But think about how much more important it is to restrict bodily autonomy in the case of abortion. How much more important it is in that circumstance than it is to do in the case of a viral outbreak. Coronavirus is a virus that happens to target more vulnerable people, right? We know that. If you're immunocompromised, if you're elderly, or if you have pre-existing conditions, COVID-19 does pose a dangerous risk to your life. But coronavirus is not a person. We can't convict COVID-19 in a court of law for murdering innocents. We can't simply pass a law prohibiting COVID from taking any more lives. Stop that. There will be legal penalties on you, virus, if you keep doing that. We can't do that. But abortion is performed by persons. Uh, abortion is the result of actual people committing acts of injustice against the unborn. We can convict the murderers of the unborn. We can pass laws prohibiting the, the murder of the vulnerable unborn child. So if it's vitally important to restrict bodily autonomy in a pandemic to save innocent lives because we can't command that the virus stop killing people, how much more important is it to restrict bodily autonomy in a genocide by commanding the killing to stop. Abortion is a genocide and we can command it to stop and we can pass laws prohibiting that behavior. And just for some perspective here, as of June 5th, the COVID deaths in America are 110,742. The abortion deaths in America in 2020 alone are over 370,000 already. And by the end of the year, they will probably be near a million. So the way that the mainstream media has covered this and their willingness to restrict bodily autonomy in the case of a viral outbreak, but to celebrate and encourage that abortion clinics remain open and that we don't restrict a woman's bodily autonomy for an abortion is quite disgusting. I mean, this is hilarious. Remember our media betters targeting freedom-loving Americans for protesting for the right to work? Very angry at those protests. Very evil that you would get out there and protest for the right to work. What did they say? They told us these restrictions on bodily autonomy are only temporary. They're just temporary. You can go back to work soon. Just, just watch Netflix. Stop being selfish. Your selfishness could kill granny. Your selfishness could kill innocent human beings. That was the message from the mainstream media to Americans who simply wanted to get back to work. Can you imagine if pro-lifers said the same thing about pregnant women? What if we said, hey, pregnant women, these restrictions on your bodily autonomy are only temporary. It's just nine months. Just go watch Netflix. Stop being selfish. Your selfishness could kill your unborn child. Because abortion, of course, is an act of selfishness. It's the choice of your life inconvenience over the life of your child. And your child becomes a necessary sacrifice 
for you to maintain your selfish lifestyle. Can you imagine if pro-lifers spoke to pregnant women the way that the mainstream media spoke to freedom-loving Americans by telling them, get over these restrictions on your bodily autonomy. Get over it. Stop being selfish. Now, clearly, the pro-life movement doesn't talk to pregnant women that way, but but saying that is true. It's true. It's true that you getting an abortion is selfish. It's true that the restrictions on your quote-unquote bodily autonomy that keep you from killing your child are temporary. It's just nine months. Just give birth to the child, and then if you don't want to put it up for adoption. So what's the takeaway here? What's the takeaway between the vast majority of the country being willing to recognize pro-life principles to protect the vulnerable who might be exposed and die from coronavirus, but their unwillingness to support restrictions on bodily autonomy to protect unborn children. Most Americans recognize and believe in the importance of pro-life principles when applied to born people. But if you suggest that those same principles ought to be extended to the vulnerable human beings in the womb, then half of our countrymen suddenly protest that doing that is actually an attack on a woman's bodily autonomy rather than supporting restrictions on bodily autonomy for the sake of the vulnerable and for the sake of the innocent unborn children in our midst. But we should celebrate that these pro-life principles are still broadly accepted and embraced by our countrymen on nearly every other issue. And we can make our arguments for the pro-life position and make our arguments for moral consistency, that if you believe in human equality and you believe in human rights, then every human being should be granted human rights. And every human being should be protected from unjustified killing, which is what abortion is and does to the unborn child. So next, we're going to examine how Black Lives Matter protests also reveal these pro-life principles. But first, if you like this show and want to hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the pro-life movement and the abortion wars, then head on over to patreon.com slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. That's what really helps us continue to do this show on a weekly basis. We'd love to move to two episodes a week as well as getting out in the public square and doing interviews and interactions with people on the topic of abortion and using this content that we use to equip you to defend life to gently push back and expose people to ideas and evidence that they've never seen or heard before so that we can change their minds. They can become people of life who won't get abortions but will defend the lives of the unborn children in our midst. Your support helps us reach more people. So please consider doing that. Go over to patreon.com slash unaborted and become a patron of the show. And we'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to Unaborted with Seth Gruber. So let's move on to how the Black Lives Matter protests also reveal these very self-evident pro-life principles. And again, I mean, this is good news. I mean, the, you know, let's not just be completely negative and pessimistic here. The principles that the pro-life movement holds are broadly accepted by most Americans. So our goal is to move people into consistently applying those principles and that ethic to include all members of the human family, not just the born ones. And by pointing out, graciously so, the inconsistencies in the COVID-19 responses and the Black Lives Matter protests enables us to, sh to, to show people that they are being inconsistent, that it doesn't make sense 
to embrace pro-life principles about protecting the vulnerable, respecting the dignity of all human life, while sanctioning the slaughter of a whole member of the human species. So that's what we're attempting to do here. Now, if you don't know what's going on with the Black Lives Matter protests and, and riots, you've probably been sleeping under a rock. So just to briefly recap, on May 25th, a police officer officer named Derek Chauvin in Minneapolis uh, was called uh, to come and apprehend a man named George Floyd, who was allegedly trying to forge uh, money or pay with a, a forgery of a $20 bill. And they end up holding him on the ground. And Derek Chauvin places his knee on George Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes while George Floyd is saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. He is he goes unconscious and then is later announced dead complete case of police brutality. He's being charged initially with third degree murder, and now they're trying to pursue second degree murder. Was it racist? There is an evidence of that, but it was obviously horrific, disgusting. He should be fired in clearly a case of incompetence at the very least, and obviously police brutality. So this incident incited protests and riots all around the country. Now, I want to say briefly, just as a point of observation, there is a clear distinction between the peaceful protesters truly angered by Floyd's murder, who have no desire to loot and burn, and the criminals who are just using his death as an opportunity to get away with crimes, to loot, to burn, even to murder, and to steal a bunch of cool stuff from stores. Obviously, there is a distinction, and I do want to point that out. But putting aside the question of systemic racism in the police force, it's obvious that Americans are united in calling racism evil. You'd be hard-pressed to find a racist sympathizer or a true racist who actually believes that blacks are subhuman and not persons. Yeah, sure, they're out there, but they're few and far between. Most Americans are on board and united in calling racism evil. We all believe that black lives matter, but not because they're black, but because they're human beings with intrinsic dignity. Our value does not stem from the amount of melanin in our skin. It stems from our human nature, which we all had at the moment of conception. It's what makes us, it's what unites us. It's the one thing we have in common. Black lives matter don't matter because they're black. They matter because they're human beings. And everyone agrees that intentionally harming or killing innocent human beings without proper justification is wrong. Except, unfortunately, when that human being is in the womb. At that point, half of our countrymen don't believe that it's wrong to intentionally kill that innocent human being. But for humans outside of the womb, we all agree. And so we need to help move our countrymen into a position of consistency that grants those principles and those pro-life ideas to all human beings, whether unborn or born. So these peaceful protests that began taking place around the country were a reaction to the fact that there was no moral justification for the way that Derek Chauvin treated George Floyd. These protests are a reaction to the principles that we all hold, that it's always wrong to harm or kill innocent human beings without proper justification. There was no justification for the way that Derek Chauvin treated George Floyd that eventually led to his Death. But if black lives matter because they're human beings, then they matter from the moment that they are human beings, the moment of conception. If, if systemic racism is true, and Gail King at CBS This Morning is right, that there is a, quote, open season on black people, 
so we need to initiate systemic change to correct injustice, then how can we continue to tolerate the injustice of abortion, which quite literally is, quote, open season on black people? What do I mean by that? As we said last week on the show, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, African-Americans account for 13.4% of the population. But according to the CDC, they obtained 36% of the country's abortions in 2015. That is disproportionate. That's massively disproportionate. So that means that Planned Parenthood alone kills more black lives in two weeks than the KKK lynched in a century. The most dangerous place for an African-American to be is not in an altercation with a white police officer. It's in the womb. You're more likely to be murdered as a black life in the womb than you are by any other person or any other means outside the womb. So while the claim that there is systemic racism in America's police force targeting black lives is not verifiable, it is proven that the abortion industry targets black lives because of their race. That's racism by any definition. So fully aware of the disproportionate amount of abortions that black America obtains, Planned Parenthood responds to that information by strategically placing their death camps in black neighborhoods. Here's what I mean by that. A study by Protecting Black Life found that 79% of Planned Parenthood surgical abortion facilities are strategically located within walking distance of African and or Hispanic communities. So Planned Parenthood intentionally places their death camps in easily accessible locations in black majority communities because they know the stats. They know that 13% of the population is responsible for 36% of the annual abortions. They know that they have a massive profit opportunity to kill more black babies by placing their death camps near to black families. Horrific, disgusting. If racism is real and if systemic racism exists, nowhere is it more apparent or prevalent than the abortion industry. And of course, we talked about on the show last week that Planned Parenthood was started by a racist and eugenicist, Margaret Sanger, who started the Negro Project to intentionally decrease the black population. If black lives matter, then all black lives matter, both born and pre-born. And there is no greater assault on black lives than the one the abortion industry wages as they specifically target black babies to increase profits. And I made this point recently on social media. I made the point that if black lives matter and intentionally targeting black lives because of their skin color is evil, then you can't pretend like abortion doesn't exist because the abortion industry and their behemoth, Planned Parenthood, strategically targets black babies in the womb because they're black, because they know that black mothers disproportionately obtain abortions. So I shared this graphic on social media, which says 1,000 black babies are murdered in America every day by their own mothers and fathers. Why don't their black lives matter? And here was my caption. My caption was fact. The organization Black Lives Matter is rapidly pro-abortion. Fact check true. Go to their website. Fact. The most dangerous place for a black person to be is in the womb. Fact. It is legal to kill black lives so long as they're small, dependent, and located in a womb designed to hold them. 
Fact, the founder of Planned Parenthood was a racist and eugenicist who created the Negro Project to decrease the black population. Fact, justice is being served over the death of George Floyd. While Black Lives Matter insists that killing black lives in the womb is reproductive justice. Fact, the pro-life movement is the biggest defender of black lives because the largest slaughter of black lives is happening in the womb. So that was my caption, and you wouldn't believe the bleep storm that I incited online. People were calling me a racist and accusing me of scapegoating black people for the problem of abortion. Think about how ludicrous that accusation is. Imagine if black families were helping arrange the death of their newborn children, infants, and I suggested that that's kind of evil. (laughs) Would I be a racist? Of course not. I wouldn't be a racist for saying that no family members, regardless of skin color, should be arranging the death of their own children. Now, clearly, the abortion industry does target individuals for abortion. And many people are many times the post-abortive woman is the second victim of abortion. The first victim is always the innocent child who's killed. But of course, the abortion industry does lie to young women to manipulate them into an abortion. But you still have a certain level of moral culpability if you take your unborn child to be killed by someone else. So yes, the murder of George Floyd is evil and horrific, but police brutality is not the number one problem facing black America. Abortion is the number one problem facing black America. According to the Washington Post, so if if they're reporting this and it doesn't help their narrative that we have systemic racism, then maybe it is true. They reported that the police fatally shot nine unarmed blacks in 2019, which was down from 38 in 2015. Well, so much for systemic racism. Only nine unarmed blacks were killed by police officers in 2019. And those would be unjustified killings, right? It is un, it, it, it's not morally justifiable to kill someone who's unarmed and is no threat to you. And we should mourn those lives. And any police officer who shoots an unarmed individual who is not a threat to them should be fired. But that is not the number one problem facing black America. The abortion industry murders 360,000 unarmed black people every year in America because unborn children are people and they are the most vulnerable and the most unable to protect themselves. If you care about black lives, you have to care about black families since the family is the bedrock of society. And we've all seen the statistics of the increased risk of homelessness, of poverty, of drug use, of suicidal tendencies, etc., 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 if you grew up in a fatherless home or a broken home. If you care about black lives, you have to care about black families. Well, it's hard to care about black families if you support and celebrate black families killing their own children which is what Black Lives Matter as an organization does. And unfortunately, a disproportionate amount of the protesters are pro-choice. The disproportionate amount of the politicians celebrating and encouraging the protests and the riots are pro-abortion. So while claiming to care about black lives and black families, they encourage black families to murder their own children so long as those children are still in a womb where they cannot protect themselves. Thanks to abortion on the black community, black birth rates have nearly flatlined all around the country due to abortion. We have tens of millions less black Americans because 
of abortion. In fact, in New York, as you've probably heard, more babies are aborted than are born. If you're concerned about racism, if you're concerned about the unjustified assault on black lives, then ending abortion should be your number one priority. The tragedy is that the Black Lives Matter organization and many of the protesters who hate racism because it treats black Americans as subhuman and less than full persons simultaneously support and celebrate abortion, which dehumanizes black persons again in the womb and then denies them rights to personhood. The, the number one problem that faced black America, which was that we as a country enslaved them and treated them as property, is the same problem with abortion. It treats small black lives as subhuman and denies them rights of personhood, repeating the bigoted and racist history of the Democratic Party because the Republican Party was started to end slavery. So how do we win these people over to the pro-life position? They already accept pro-life principles, right, but refuse to apply them to the unborn. The people who support the COVID-19 stay-at-home orders, the people who support the Black Lives Matter protests are doing so because they recognize the principles that we as pro-life individuals hold, which is that every human being is intrinsically valuable and has dignity and worth above any other type of creature or life. And so therefore, it is always wrong to intentionally harm or kill innocent human beings without proper justification. However, we as pro-lifers are consistently applying that principle and ethic because we're granting those protections to the beginning of when a human being starts, the moment of conception. Many of our countrymen only grant those principles when you exit the birth canal, which makes no sense in any world. So how do we win these people over? Well, we make our arguments. We point out that the very reason they hate racism, namely because it dehumanizes black persons and denies them the same rights as all other people, is the same reason they should hate abortion. Because abortion dehumanizes black humans, all humans in the womb, and denies them the most important right, the right to life. And if you don't have that right, you don't have any other rights. And I'm assuming that that's the reason why Black Lives Matter is so outraged by what they perceive to be systemic racism. Because their claim is that, well, we as black Americans can't even feel safe. We can't even feel that we have a right to life that will be protected by the police force. Now, again, regardless of whether there is systemic racism in the police force, they're acknowledging what pro-lifers acknowledge, which is that the right to life is the most important right. And if you don't have that right, you don't have any other rights. So if you hate racism because of how it dehumanizes born people, you should hate abortion because of how it dehumanizes unborn people. Both the COVID-19 and Black Lives Matter responses to their crises, reveals the self-evident nature of the pro-life position, that human beings have intrinsic dignity and value that should be respected and protected. And government is created to protect those natural rights, the right to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, and property. And now we have tragically repeated history and we're now peddling myths that the unborn child is an example of a human non-person who isn't guaranteed the natural rights that government is created to 
protect. But the only way to have a just society, the only way to truly guarantee human equality, which the Black Lives Matter people want and the supporters of stay-at-home orders want and the pro-life movement wants, is to grant human rights and a right to life to all human beings. And we need to make our case from the science that we know that we began at the moment of conception. The problem with only granting the right to life to human beings after they're born is that you have now opened a door to enable anyone to justify mistreating or killing anyone else by coming up with arbitrary standards for personhood. Because exiting the birth canal doesn't grant you personhood. <laughs> There's nothing about the unborn child's development that makes them a non-person because we're all on a continuum of human development that began at the moment of conception. An unborn child is not like an infant. An infant is not like a toddler. A toddler is not like a teenager. A teenager is not like an adult. We're all on a continuum of human development. And so if you can justify killing the unborn because, oh, they can't feel pain, they're not viable, they don't have brain waves, they don't have desires, then you've opened up the door to justify killing any born person who doesn't meet those same arbitrary standards. It's only by grounding human value and human rights in our common human nature, which began at the moment of conception, that you can maintain human equality and a just society, which is what these people want. We know that, but we need to make our case and demand that they consistently apply the principles that they hold and that we hold to all human beings. Well, that's all we have time for for today. Thanks for joining me. If you uh, want to connect with me online, head on over to sethgruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U-B as in baby boy, E-R.com for my training videos, my speaking schedule, or to subscribe to my newsletter. You can also connect with me on social media, on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you like to watch this podcast as a vodcast. Head on over to iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, give the show a rating and review. It really helps. Tell a friend. Uh, Maybe listen to this with a pro-choice friend or family member of yours and use it as a way to incite a very productive conversation. Thanks for tuning in. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber and this is Unaborted.